it's the all caps two pages of the script. Um, both both Torvald and Nora just like let out all of the kind of repressed Norwegian angst that they've been holding on to for two plays and 15 years. Welcome back, everybody, to No Script, an unscripted conversation about theater's best scripts. I'm Jacob Mann Christensen. And I am Jackson Nikolai. Yes, welcome back, everyone. Welcome back from a week apart. We're jumping into a conversation today that is a little bit referential. That's right. Yeah, this is a, a continuation conversation, a part two, if you will, not to borrow too directly <laughs> from the title of the script. Last week, we <laughs> talked about Henrik Ibsen's famous play, A Doll's House, of course. As Jackson said a number of times last week, Father of Modern Realism, one of the more popular plays in the history of the world. And today, we are in the second part of a conversation around that that story, those characters, it's a little bit yeah. hard to know how they relate. Yeah, yeah, I agree. So so let's just let's just tear the band-aid off and let us know what we're talking about today. You've already seen it in the title. We're talking about a doll's house house part two by Lucas Henaith. Um, we're returning to Lucas Henaith for the second time on the podcast. So he's been on the on the show before, but we're excited to get to dive into this one. And it really does um kind of live in the same Universe um, with very similar characters, um, slight differences perhaps in some vernacular, but uh, it'll be interesting to get to talk about that. Uh, they, they are they are the same characters, same name. We're supposed to go into it with the with the previous knowledge that we have of these characters, but there's some interesting differences as well. Right, yeah. Lucas Nath writes a new play about the same characters and the events that happen after the end of A Doll's House. So it'll, it'll be fascinating to talk to how they relate, what Lucas Nath has done to change the world, to change especially the way the characters speak, which you just mentioned, the vernacular, to maybe even change our perceptions of the characters that's all yeah. coming up. Yeah, definitely, definitely. But before we jump into the conversation, we do just want to take just a second and say thank you to all of our patrons over on patreon.com slash noscriptpodcast. Um, those of you who have listened for a while know that we love doing this show. It's it's a great time. We love getting to talk to each other. We love getting to talk to all of you out there in podcast and social media land. We love getting to have special guests on the show. We're going to be having a special guest on the show next week. So get excited for that. But all of that is made possible by our patrons over on patreon.com slash no script podcast it's a great way to help out the show and help to allay some of the costs of the show the uh, scripts hosting fees just the considerable amount of time that we put into the show so if you're looking for a way to help out the no script community to help out the show itself Find us over on patreon.com slash noscriptpodcast where you'll find a bunch of different tiers of membership. At the lowest level, it's just $1, $12 over the course of a year. So if you're looking to help out the show, it's a great way to do it. Thank you to all of our patrons who've, ar who've already become patrons of the show. And for the rest of you, we'll see you over on patreon.com slash noscriptpodcast. Yes, absolutely. Huge thank you to all of you who are supporting the show. We are just so grateful to be able to still do the show because of your support. And speaking of the show, it's time to get back to it. Yeah, yeah. Before I hop into the context, we should say what you, what you mentioned in the Patreon plug and what we neglected to say before, which is that next week is a special guest episode, right? Yeah, yeah, super excited for this uh, next week. So we can go ahead and announce what it'll be. It is we're going to be talking about Once the musical. Uh, we're going to be inviting Maria Booth to come on the show and talk about it. And Maria Booth is uh, my sister. Uh, who Maria Nikolai is her is her uh, maiden name, and she is now Maria Booth. She is married. She lives over in Ireland. If you know anything about the play, she lives over in Belfast in North Ireland. If you know anything about the play, they uh, the, the the show takes place in in Dublin and in Ireland. And it's about six Singers and songwriters, and my sister's a singer and songwriter, so I'm looking forward to the conversation. Should be a good one. It'll be an episode you will not want to miss. We love the special guest episodes, the new perspectives, and Maria's perspective as a singer-songwriter out of Ireland on this script is going to be a really fascinating one, I think, and very specific, too, which will be yeah. nice. So uh, join us for that next week. Not me, just Jackson. Join Jackson for that <laughs> next week. I'll not be around. You'll, you'll get a nice break from me, I think, for at least that hour next week. <laughs> 
<laughs> anyway, to talk about Doll's House Part 2, this is our second play by Lucas Nath on the podcast. The first play we did was a play that just kind of blew my mind and has jumped quickly onto the list of scripts I would love to direct someday, the list of scripts that you know I kind of read regularly. That was The Christians. Had a great conversation about that script, really incredible drama. We talked about it as kind of a new form of Greek tragedy. Uh, and Lucas Nath is kind of one of the it playwrights right now. Um, he's got a lot of scripts that are being produced in a lot of places. Interestingly, as I was kind of getting ready to do this little context, but I learned that he was formerly a pre-med student. That's what he originally went to college for and switched over to script writing. He is a resident playwright at New Dramatists. He's an Obie Award winner and nominee several times over, a Tony Award nominee uh, several times over, and, and similar awards uh, around the world. Doll's House Part 2 premiered on Broadway in conjunction with uh, a theater called the South Coast Repertory Theater. South Coast Rep commissioned the script, and it, the story does not exist anywhere I could find about how it simultaneously was produced at South Coast Rep and on Broadway. Perhaps they knew they had struck magic and needed to get this thing to Broadway as soon as possible. So it actually premiered in two places at once, at South Coast Rep, April 2017, and on Broadway at the John Colton Theater in 2017 as well. That Broadway production starred Laurie Metcalf and Chris Cooper, which sounds incredible to see the two of them playing these characters on stage and opposite each other. The Broadway production was nominated for eight Tony Awards, including Best Play. Laurie Metcalf ended up winning for Best Leading Actress in a play for that. And then since that, it has just run the gambit of productions around the country. Steppenwolf in 2019, and then regional professional houses like the American Players Theater in Wisconsin, the Jungle Theater out of Minneapolis. I mean, it is running around. People are desperate to do the script, and it, it's a great script to be desperate for. It's it's really, really doing well. So you'll, there's probably a decent chance that within a couple hours drive for you, maybe not right now, but when theater returns, uh, you'd be able to see uh, a version of the script live. There are some clips and things online if you're interested in that, but given the play's popularity, the chance of somebody at least semi near you is doing it is pretty high. Yeah, and definitely worth your time to go see it, as you'll as you'll discover from the conversation if you haven't already read the script. Um, so to real quick synopsize the script for the purposes of our conversation, um, this play concerns four characters, Nora, Torvald, Anne-Marie, and Emmy. Now, three of those names should be very familiar to those of you who uh, listened to the show from last week and or have read A Doll's House before. Uh, they are the repeat characters. Uh, Nora and Torvald are the married couple from uh, A Doll's House. And then Anne-Marie is the nanny from uh, that same play. Uh, she only has one or two scenes in the play, so uh, if you're not paying close attention, it's possible that you might have missed her, but she's there and has some substantial scenes in the play, an important relationship, especially to Nora. The play opens, uh, it's set 15 years after the event of the first play, still in the same house in Norway, um, and uh, the play opens with Nora coming home. She returns. Uh, the... the uh, the, one of the big notes on the space itself is that it's a pretty open space, but one requirement is that there's a door. Um, and those, and we, we talked about the importance of the door last time, so the start of the play is Nora showing back up at the door. And she comes in. She has a conversation with Anne-Marie. They catch up a little bit, and we learn a lot about uh, where Nora has been, which is uh, one of the burning questions left over from part one of the, of the play is where she's been. She's been a writer all these years. She's been uh, living on her own. She's been supporting herself. She's done pretty well for herself over the last 15 years. Um, however, there's been a complication. In recent years, due to some of the content of her writing, women are leaving their husbands. Um, not necessarily in large amounts, but a notable one left a, her husband who was a judge. And the judge went on a path for revenge. He dug into Nora's history. Nora has been writing with a pseudonym, but he discovered her name, and he's going to uh, drag her through the mud as someone who is, is in fact married, who is writing all these things uh, falsely and and not from, from a true life experience. Um, and Nora is surprised by this because she discovers during the course of, of uh, kind of digging into this, what the judge discovered, that she is still married legally to Torvald. 
Now you may remember at the end of the last play, uh, there's the scene where they give where uh, she gives her ring back to Torvald, and Torvald gives her his ring, and uh, she leaves saying, "I need you. I need you to kind of finish this up. We need to be divorced. This is over. Goodbye." And she leaves, assuming that Torvald would in fact go ahead and continue with the legal proceedings of of the divorce. Turns out that didn't happen. Fifteen years later, they are still legally married. So she's returning to the house to get Anne-Marie on her side a little bit, but specifically to go to Torvald and ask him to carry out the divorce because it is still set only 15 years in the future of that time. The, The likeliness of the divorce proceeding going through is much higher, or the success would be much more likely if Torvald does it. We find out a lot more stuff. Um, we find out that uh, Torvald has not really gotten over Nora, that um, that there's been some uh, kind of assumptions made in the community that perhaps Nora died instead of moving away, that Torvald is not necessarily spoken against. Um, and we discover that... Uh, uh, we discover a lot about Anne-Marie and, and how she has kind of sacrificed for the children and how she how she feels that uh, it's not fair for Nora to be coming back and making this request of her. We also discover the fourth name that I mentioned, which is Emmy. Emmy is uh, Nora and Torvald's daughter, and it's Anne-Marie's suggestion that Emmy be brought into the equation to try to get Torvald. Uh, Torvald says he won't uh, follow through with the divorce, um, and uh, Emmy is brought in by Anne-Marie because she thinks that Emmy might have a better perspective on how to get Torvald to say yes. And then we're introduced to Emmy, who is is the daughter. Uh, she comes in, meets her mother for the first time, and kind of pitches a different plan that what if uh, Nora, Nora uh, goes ahead and dies? <laughs> Which is uh, provocative in the way I just said it, and it comes up that way in the script in a very similar way. But their plan is to insert a death certificate into the record so that Nora could in fact have died. She could exist with her pseudonym out in the world um, and and not have to be Nora. That way Torvald doesn't have to go around and correct all the things, all, all the people <laughs> who think that she's dead, that he's kind of built this lie around and everything could just kind of keep a status quo and go on to normal. If you're hearing uh, kind of repeating themes of fraud and forgery from the last play, that's probably pretty intentional. Um, the play ends with... Uh, Torvald having gone to uh, the clerk and asked for a divorce, gotten in a bit of a, an explosive fight as a result of all the stress, apparently, with the uh, with the clerk, and gets the divorce, brings it back to Nora. Nora uh, also kind of decides before that that she's going to go out and just kind of tell the truth to everyone, so she kind of turns down the divorce, and they really explode at each other. Both of them uh, can't really can't really figure out how best to, to, to help each other, whether the one wants the help or not. Um, and, uh, she ends up leaving, uh, through the door at the end of the play again. That's, that's kind of the meta synopsis. I, yeah. <laughs> there's a lot of moving pieces, but, uh, but a lot of similar characters throughout the play. Yeah. So that, that we, we've already done this dance a few times, right? Which is similar characters, uh, characters with the same, are they the same <laughs> characters? Are they not? So in some ways it's a question for Lucas Nath, right? Did he... Is he, is he trying to write a new play for the same characters and literally just stealing Ibsen's characters outright and writing, mm. you know, like fan fiction, right? Like really popular fan fiction yeah. or really well-written fan fiction. Or is he is he living in this kind of world of I'm writing this new play, this new story about a same situation, same kind of characters? It ends up being kind of six of one, half dozen of the other. Yeah. No, it's true. It's 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 a uh, it's imaginative retaking on the characters. For instance, probably the, probably the one that stands out the most in my mind um, of a difference is Torvald. Right. Um, the fifteen years have 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 done something to Torvald. If, as probably if you've listened to the last episode, we were appropriately rough on Torvald. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> and and in this one, uh, the the playwright has done some work to kind of show some differences. In, in how he received Nora leaving. Um, that uh, that he feels very betrayed, that we spend a, a decent amount of time uh, talking in, in the play around um, how, how Nora leaving and kind of bringing all these grievances and then leaving has had a, 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 a bad effect on him. <laughs> Which is, which is, uh, you know, it it gives him. I feel like this play 
in our modern, uh, with our modern sensibilities, attempts to give Torvald a bit more of a fair shake than a modern sensibility replaying of Torvald would be now. Yeah, and and he, Henneth points out some of the things that end up being maybe overlooked in the reading of A Doll's House, partially just because of how negatively Torvald comes off in the play, and partially because Nora is very clearly the hero by the end of the script. But Torvald points out things that we know from reading The Doll's House. For example, one of the claims that Torvald makes was, well, you were pretty manipulative in our marriage, too. Anytime you wanted something, you would sort of sweeten your voice and say how much you loved me and play the little bird in order to manipulate me into giving you what I what you want and that is a feature of A Doll's House. I think in the reading of A Doll's House, you read it as Nora manipulating the system of, of how women were viewed and how, when and where she could have any power and using that to her advantage. And in this play, you get Torvald's view of that, which he outright calls it manipulative and more manipulative of him than of the system. And and this, this is perhaps maybe the major clash of A Doll's House Part 2 is, are the events of their lives, the ones written in Doll's House 1, Ibsen's Doll's House, or Doll's House Part 2, are these events about characters and their conflicts and clashes with the system or the conflicts and clashes with each other and and when do those things come into conflict themselves right when does your fight against a system end up being simultaneously a fight against a person that harms that person the case is made several times in the play that Nora's leaving how you know how could she leave her children and Nora makes counter arguments about the way the system forces women to be child bearers and child carers and so those things you know the personal and the political end up kind of smashing right into each other yeah, yeah, absolutely. And 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 the 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 ways that the, the different goals of people um the different goals that people bring to the table to these conversations are really sussed out and they're really uh uh cross purposes throughout. Almost almost every one of the characters has a a way that they want to be allied mostly to Nora. I think Nora winds up playing chess with each of these characters throughout the play. Um, they have ways that they want to be aligned with her, but they also have ways that are incongruous with being aligned with her. Anne-Marie really wants uh, her to come back to try to re- reforge this family again um, and, and to be a part of that, that family. But she also is very hurt by Nora. <laughs> she she and 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 not only hurt by her past actions but hurt by the current action as Nora asks her to kind of conspire with her to get Torvald onto her side to get this divorce from Torvald. Yeah, and and Emery is a great character example of how Nora's perception of life in the sort of the combating of the system in this political, this theory, this, in, in which she's very much right in a lot of instances about, especially the society at the time, and, and we see echoes of that even now, women being oppressed in so many ways, being confined to so many specific roles. And you see Nora make that case, but with someone like Anne-Marie, the counter becomes very much about the the specific situations and the personal effects that that ends up having on the people. Anne-Marie says, Says, look, I had to stay and raise your children because you were gone. And Nora says, well, nobody forced you to do that. And Anne-Marie responds, well, somebody had to. So right. you see the conflict between this is our practical real-life situation of these kids and Nora's perception of sort of society's um, requirement that women be child carers. Mm-hmm. You also you you get a really similar dynamic when Emmy comes in because Emmy uh, Emmy comes in she wants to be sure part of part of the reason why she wants to be sure Torvald doesn't have to just say that he was lying the whole time about Nora being dead is because Emmy is uh, engaged she's engaged to a bank worker who works for her father um, and she knows that if their family kind of falls into uh, uh, bad favor as a result of this lie and as a result of this fraud a fraud here we go again um, she won't be able to marry this person who she is in love with um, and and 
I th- the 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 beats where Emmy is talking to Nora and trying to explain this position to Nora, who she knows, Nora throughout the play is against marriage. She writes against marriage. Um, she's not. She doesn't like the institution. She likes love, but she does not like marriage anymore for you know understandable reasons. Given the given the the part one and and her whole story with it. Emmy, uh, w- one of the like amazing lines in this was is. Uh, Nora says uh, something to the effect of you really don't understand what a marriage is like and Emmy replies that I I know I don't because you weren't around you didn't show me what the marriage is like but I know what marriage isn't like and and or, or I know what not being married is like and it's and it's feeling very alone wanting to be held wanting to be with someone so so that's another very interesting cross purposes moment of this where you have two characters both wanting something both having good reasons to want something um but but having to kind of share the space because they both need something from the other yeah and i think both the nurse and marie and emmy do a really uh very interesting, kind of fascinatingly written job of pointing out the conflicts in Nora's way of thinking. When Nora makes the argument, well, you didn't have to stay and raise my children. In fact, you abandoned your own daughter to do that, so you're the same as me. Anne-Marie does this wonderful work of bringing in the way that as especially a poor woman in society, her choices were very limited. And Emmy plays sort of the opposite game with Nora, where near the end of their conversation, Emmy points out that for somebody who uh, pretends that she wants to come in and meet me as my mother, you haven't asked me really a single personal question about myself whatsoever. And they both end up sort of pushing her back and and walking her into, I don't know, it's a little bit hard for me to tell what directions Nora ends up going in this script. The Doll's House, Ibsen's Dollhouse, is so clear in the directions for the characters. And this one is a, is more muddled. It's a little bit harder to figure out the pathways and the what the conclusions of those pathways are. Yeah, yeah. I think in some ways, um, we're, we are on this ride. You know, the character who's always on stage is Nora. So, so it, it makes sense that we try to, like... Look at look at Nora and figure out the journey that she goes on, um, and and I think you're right. It's a lot messier. You know, she she walks out the door the same as she does in in the in the last play, but it's a very different leaving. Um, it feels it does not feel like um, you know it's it's a statement in part one when she walks out the door, but when she walks out the door this time, there's a lot of questions still to be answered um, around. Around how it's all gonna play out, you know, like like there's they're not 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 like aspirational questions, like oh boy, what happens to Nora out there in the world? It's rather how is this? There's so much left from this uh, separation that still needs to be figured out. How how is this divorce actually gonna work? Is she gonna be able to write her well, books? Still, is she even going to accept the divorce? I'm, yeah. I'm a little bit unclear on what she decides at the end, and and, and in some ways that that's an interesting parallel and an interesting difference to the original Doll's House because both Ibsen's Dollhouse and Hines Part 2, there is this there's this sort of central very contrived plot that deals with fraud and there being legal consequences but frankly in both plays it feels very made up very contrived, very constructed and (laughs) it's just not a central it's not really what the play ends up being about in both cases there is this deeper more important personal conflict um you know internal goals to achieve internal threats in the marriage in the relationships in both ways and in that in that way nath has done an excellent job in mirroring the way ibsen constructs the plot in the original doll's house this uh contrived outer layer of legality and fraud that lends itself to discussions about this more deep more threatening higher stakes internal world yeah. Now, what's different is that in the original Doll's House, the contrived uh, legal fraud-based plot ends so cleanly. And in this play, in, in part two, the contrived legal fraud-based plot does not end cleanly at all. 
Right. At least two of uh, at least two of the fraud based plot lines are kind of out flapping in the wind <laughs> at the at the end because there's there's two big ones, right? There's one that Emmy lays out in what is just like must must be read for comedy. <laughs> it's just as as you're kind of talking about the kind of contrived fraud pr- pr- plot line. Um, it's got to be just so funny to watch Emmy lay out how over the years people assumed that. Well, she was gone. So Torvald told uh, everyone that Nora was just gone, that she had left um, or she was away or something like that. And then people started assuming that she was dead. And then Torvald didn't necessarily say that she was dead and just kind of let it keep going. And then there's certain things that happen when people die, like you get money from the government as a result of their death. And and no one ever lied directly, but it just started pouring in and, and they received money from the government for her death. And so it's just like... Like this this domino effect of 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 Torvald not not uh, doing anything to to yeah, say that not, she hadn't certainly died. he the 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 stakes for Torvald are the result of his inability to deal with the problem, which is that Nora's left him and now people wonder where she is. And he never ended up saying anything. So people end up assuming things that put him in legal jeopardy if it's revealed that she is in fact alive, that they are still in fact married. And in in that way, the, the, the situation for Torvald is really directly written from the character in Ibsen's original Dollhouse. I mean, that is the Torvald of, of the original too. This sort of inability to confront any kind of like real issues and ends up just kind of taking what's given to him and that puts him in all this trouble. That's very much like Torvald in the original. Yeah. And and in a way he managed to manages to overcome that a little bit by going to the clerk and like or telling him that he needs a divorce, that he was wrong, that she's still alive, they need to get separated. Um, but but that plotline, as we were saying, is kind of left open at the end because Nora, in fact, does not accept the, the divorce from him, does not say that I'll go go ahead and like use this to to uh, to uh, to talk to this judge who's who's coming after me. Instead, she says she's going to go off and tell the truth to the world about her current state of things. And that's going to leave everything really messy and open and, and open her up to a lot of realizations of fraud. So so. There's a lot left open, and yet you get this sense that that the wheel has been broken, or the loop has been broken that these characters are in. There's this there's this loop of of uh, kind of sweeping things under the carpet, not talking about things that we go on in both plays. These kind of secrets and pseudo lies that are told, um, and and at the end of the first play, there's a big break, right? Like Nora leaves, um, and that's that's a big break to the goings on. In this play. Two characters, well, one character tells the truth, and another character says they're going to tell the truth. Torvald goes and tells the clerk that they need a divorce and that she's alive, and Nora says, I'm going to go tell the judge and all of my readers that I perhaps have been a part of something that is not necessarily by the letter of the law true. Yeah, and and the moment where Nora rejects the divorce that Tor- that has cost Torvald so much. So Torvald initially, Torvald has the two scenes. In the initial scene, he is against the idea of going through the divorce. It seems to be partially out of kind of a revenge sensibility. We don't know at the time about the legal trouble it would put him in. Uh, but he says, that, you know, I don't want to give you the divorce. That would be too easy for you. If you're going to get the divorce, you're going to have to choose to do all the things that that would mean, smearing me, claiming all this stuff. And so that's that's his reasoning. But then later in the play, he comes back in. This is after the conversation with Emmy and Nora. And, and in that conversation, Emmy or Nora has decided that she does not want to, first of all, put Emmy in legal jeopardy because Emmy would fake the death certificate. And two, she doesn't want to be in a position of having to accept Torvald's um, like help or, or, or power over her again in finally granting her the divorce. So she's kind of decided she's going to do this for herself. So at the end of that conversation, Torvald stumbles in with Anne-Marie and he's bleeding from the head. And, and we learn the story when they're finally alone that he went to the clerk's office to request the divorce. Uh, he, he finally agreed to it. And the clerk wanted to write her off as dead because they thought she was dead all year. The clerk thought he was crazy. So he fought the clerk and he, he had his skull broken on the ground. And that's why he's bleeding so heavily but he finally says look I got you the divorce that you were after here it is and she says "Uh, you know thanks but I don't really want that anymore and in 
really the payoff moment for this whole script, I think. Torvald absolutely explodes. Yeah, no, it's it's the it's the all caps two pages of the script. Um, both both Torvald and Nora just like let out all of the kind of repressed Norwegian angst that they've been holding on to for two plays and fifteen years, um, and just yell at each other. Um, and and yeah, it's it's the it's Torvald saying, "I can't win with you. I can't I can't figure out how to be the good guy for you." Um, and, and Nora's response is along the lines of, uh, you're making every single thing about you. <laughs> it's about you, uh, kind of being the, the knight in shining armor who decides to go and get the divorce and give it to me. Um, she, there's this great scene, uh, prior to that, where he admits that he's read her book from cover to cover and how much he saw himself in it and how much he felt outed in it and how much he felt, um, that there were some truths and some hardships in it and how he felt misrepresented. And one of her big lines in that Nora's big shout back is it's my book my feelings my thoughts my experience in my life he keeps her com- big big uh break point in this he his his big break point is that he can't win can't figure out how to be a good guy hers is that he continues to insert himself into all the storylines of her life and it and it begins with this this great moment where he hands her the divorce. His head is bleeding. It's cost him everything. He's had to admit all this stuff internally. He's gone through huge internal changes. Reading the book, as Jackson was saying, making this decision. He's gone through external damage and trying to achieve this for her. His head is broken and he's <laughs> bleeding. He hands her the divorce certificate and she says. The divorce, I don't need it, but I really do appreciate, and I'm going to swear here, this is in the script, he says, I can't win with you. I can't win with you. I can't fucking win with you. In this beautiful, <laughs> yeah. de- you know, vernacular departure from the original style of language in the original um, uh, style of drama, right? Dolls, Ibsen's Dolls House lives in this world of kind of keeping things behind masks, keeping your your temper down, keeping all of this internal stuff bottled up. And Torvald lets loose. I can't win. He's tried. He's he's come through all this, and she still it, it pushes against him. Now I, that sounds like I'm on Torvald's side, but I, but that's only because Jackson did such a good job in articulating <laughs> Nora's perspective on this. Which right, is right, right. this, this experience go. is not about you, Torvald. Your your sense of this is still about you. In fact, after reading the book, he says like I was concerned that when I die, my legacy is only going to be this negative picture you've painted right. of me. So I want to make that change. Yeah, no, no, it's a, that's a fascinating part of it. But yeah, the, the, the breakdown of, of just over and over and you get this, I mean, uh, if, if any moment pays off the last three pages of the first script where Torvald is just being kind of, uh, broken by Nora as as she is kind of telling the truth of how she's been viewing her relation their relationship all along and Torvald for for uh, whatever levels of 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 uh of presence is is completely blindsided by this um this moment pays that off it it seems like he he's been blindsided by it he's stewed about it for 15 years trying to figure out how he could have been better and he tries in this moment to be better than he was before well, than he was 15 really years it's even ago. more specific than that isn't it because the in, in this climactic head-to-head moment at the end of Ibsen's dollhouse, the thing that Nora says, and it's a phrase we talked about in our conversation, is the wonderful thing. She's expecting yeah. this wonderful thing to happen. And the wonderful thing is the idea that Torvald is going to sort of take it all onto himself, be willing to accept all of the blame, all of the damage in an effort to protect Nora. And I, what, I think what we talked about is is the ways in which Nora is saying, well, if this is our societal contract, if I'm supposed to be X, then you need to live up to that side of the societal contract too. And he fails to do that. And in this play, the climactic moment here is okay, right? The, the Doll's House, Ibsen's Doll House ends with him saying a wonderful thing. What can I do? A wonderful thing. And this play ends with the wonderful thing. He did it, right? He yeah. went. He's going to take all of the blame on himself, all the legal consequences. We know from from Nath's Doll House Part 2 that he's probably going to lose his job, that he's going to lose his standing. He might go to prison. There's going to be fraud charges involved. There's going to be an enormous amount of scandal and reputation. He's finally doing that thing 
that Nora in part one was hoping that he would do. But at the end of this part two, Nora is a different person. It's yeah. 15 years later. That's no longer what she wants from him. Yeah. Yeah. Different people is a big theme in this play. I think it's it's a big part of Nora's argument why marriage is not something she likes anymore, or thinks that works anymore. It's because people change so much. And certainly in this play, with 15 years apart, part of what is happening is all of these characters are discovering how each other have changed. Not just they're not just rehashing um, old pain or pain that's left unresolved, which which they are, of course, doing in the course of the play, but they're doing it with essentially new people who have a completely new set of, of life experience. And when lived apart, you can't expect those people to have, <laughs> you know, to be the same. And I think Nora would make the argument that even when you're not apart, you can't expect after 10 years or whatever that you're going to be the same people, that the likes uh, or, the, or the things that you thought were important 10 years ago are, are going to be consistently the same. It takes something else out of the relationship that she would argue to, to bring that around. Right. It seems like Torvald's mistake is to preassume that what he could have done to make things right at the end of Ibsen's dollhouse 15 years previous is the same thing he can do to make things right here at the end of this play 15 years later. Now, to his credit, it is what she asked him to do. Like 10 pages ago, (laughs) she did ask him to do it. (laughs) You can understand his frustration, which I think it... He comes off in a more sympathetic light in this play than in Doll's House Part 1. And we keep saying Part 1. We should talk about that, too, because that's not really fair to Ibsen's Doll House. It's super not. No, that's, that's but <laughs> you, the original. It, the original Doll's House, you, you're not as sympathetic to Torvald because you don't feel that he has made the effort or the sacrifice, that he's just sort of the negative Nancy, the thing that, that all the criticism, he sort of bounces off of himself and doesn't understand. And in this play, he he's willing to make those steps. But his mistake is to think that the steps that he could have made before are the steps he could still make now. But they're the steps she asked him to make. I mean, you can see why he's frustrated. <laughs> yep. He's got a bleeding yep. skull trying to do what she asked him to do. She's like, I didn't ask you to save me. And it's like, well, yeah, you did. We right. were all here for it. We watched it happen. <laughs> That kind of brings me to a little bit of the aspects of the play that's uh, another aspect of this play that's different is it's not what what do you what do you feel about realism in this play and 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 then realism and then also drama in this play. I don't know how broadly I would apply either of those terms to the actions of this play. It's a it's a little bit different. A- again, this kind of leads into our original, or at least my original kind of quibbling with whether these are the same characters or not, or whether we're in the same universe or not. Because I feel a difference reading, and certainly in the scenes that I've been able to watch by way of interviews and uh, and different, uh, you know, broadwayon.com uh, content, uh, it, it looks like they're playing with something a little bit different than, you know, father of realism play style. Right. I mean, what Lucas Nath did not do is try to write a second piece to the play in the original world style, uh, theatrical sensibilities, dialogue style, um, character development style, uh, all this stuff. He did not try to replicate Ibsen's psychological drama. Nath wrote a play by Lucas Nath. And yeah. it is very clear. I've read many of Lucas Nath's play because I love him. And this is a play by Lucas Nath, not by Henry Gibson. And so the way that Nath plays with realism, with psychological drama, with uh, older theatrical styles. I mean, you think about a play like The Christian, the dialogue is very, you know, quote unquote, realism, psychological drama, whatever that means. But it's in this super stylized format of handheld microphones on a church stage. You feel that same kind of playing with the form that Nate is known for happen here. It's the same characters inhabiting the same world and the same problems and the same development, but in a sort of a new style, a new take on it. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. New new words, new styles, and and they've and the characters have grown, of course, as we've talked about. There's also in in uh, Ibsen's A Doll's House, these are low context characters for us. You know, we're getting introduced to these two. Perhaps, you know, in when performed in its original setting, they were a little bit higher context as far as their social situation and and the sort of relationship that they have. But nevertheless, you know, we're getting introduced to these characters for the first time. What a Doll's House Part Two has on its side is years of theater history. <laughs> you know, uh, dealing with a play that has become accepted into the canon of Western theater that a lot of people ha- know these characters a little bit, and so these are now high context characters. And as such, we can they can have a little bit more um, kind of asides or flippant comments or more uh, 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 kind of. Uh, there's there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of wander, water under the bridge with these characters and we've been either a part of that or wondering about it since the play was uh since the play closed from Ibsen and beyond. Right. Nath has the benefit of being able to build on something that already exists. So with a character like Torvald, he has the freedom now to play with the character and develop him beyond the villain that he is in Doll's House Part 1 and really he doesn't even have to establish the sort of bad behavior your uh power obsessed uh, uh problematic torvald from part 1 he can start there and offer new perspective offer growth offer change for that character across the course of the play same thing with nor right he he gets to play on a character that already existed in this very power imbalanced uh relationship very power imbalanced society who's become the sort of strong um uh, I, I was about to say strong, independent woman. I, I mean that in the most uh, honoring sense of who she's become rather than the sort of flippant sense that we use that phrase sometimes in society. She's really become – she lives on her own. She makes her own money for – like the 19th century, that's a big deal for her character. And she's also able to stand up for her opinions, her beliefs, which is not something she's able to do till the very end of the play in the previous script. And so – he begins with fully constructed characters and has the opportunity to develop those fully constructed characters into new people. But here's the question I think, Jackson, and I'm interested in your thoughts on this. If you don't know Ibsen's dollhouse well enough to know how the characters are changing and being played with, what is left in this play? What what kind of a play is this absent knowledge of Doll's House Part 1? You know, if you imagine that all you remember is, I read it in college, and doesn't she leave him at the end? I think there, I think there's kind of a fight about marriage at the end of it, and she leaves him. And I think that's mm. how the play ends. If that's all you know, does this play stand on its own? Uh, I think I would say, yes, it does stand on its own, but it might be a different play. Um, I wonder, I wonder, uh, what the conversation's like, you know, or, or what the, you know, <laughs> what the annoying theater friend is in that conversation who comes in and says, well, actually in the other play, Torvald was, you know, a jerk. Um, because I think that this play, when it stands on its own, I think, I think I agree that you kind of need the given that she left him, um, and I think that is that is the one thing that the play really needs as a leg to stand on to work um, that that she left long ago. But you get that pretty quickly through the action of the play. You just miss the first moment of the door opening and the importance of that moment. Um, but the play is I think I think it's it's a play that stands very well on its own. It's just these four characters. You know, you have you have the woman who left, the man who she left, you have the woman who took over the mother role for her kids when she left, and you have the youngest child who doesn't actually remember her mother from that time. Another important element. I think it's important that it's not one of the older brothers who does remember her from the time and would bring more subtext in the equation. Instead, we get Emmy, who doesn't remember her at all, just has hearsay from the two other characters and her two brothers as to who she was. So let's think about Emmy, though, as as a character example, because Emmy is uh, the only character in this script, really, that has no... Um, 
no baggage, no development. There is no ground on which Nath is building for Emmy. She's a baby in the first place, so doesn't have a personality other than a baby. <laughs> She's in like <laughs> one or two scenes as a baby. You know, I mean, she 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 is not a person for the purposes of a character development sense. Um, <laughs> that sounded bad. <laughs> She's not a character right, in the sense of go, having go. goals and things to pursue. Uh, so she comes into this play with nothing behind her, nothing that Nate is playing off of or building on in terms of character development. And I see if you agree with me, I, she's the weakest character of the four um, by a lot, I think. I mean, it, she does not feel like there's very much there. Her her plot tends to be a little, her scene tends to be a little more, more related to the kind of external fraud contrived plot that Nath plays around and inside. She doesn't do a lot of growth or development very much. I mean, she is the one that is lacking in this quartet of characters, I think. I would, yeah, I would, I would be curious. I would be curious for the experience of not having read the first play to corroborate that. And maybe that's like a, that's like a, even while we're still having the conversation, a pitch out to our audience uh, who haven't read the play, if you happen to know, because, because it's just so impossible for me to, uh, to know exactly how she stands because we have high context for Anne Marie. We have high context for Torvald and we have high context for Nora. And, and so Emmy coming into the, into it, I think she, I think you're right that her journey is not, we don't, we don't watch her change all that much. In fact, we watch her, uh, we, we watch her goals change dramatically by the result of other characters. Torvald going ahead and go, go, telling the clerk that he needs a divorce and that he has to tell a bunch of truth now um, is going to affect her storyline. Well, um, that's not something we even get to see, right? Like that would be right. interesting. What in the character changes? What in the relationship with her father changes? What in her own sense of the world changes when she learns that Torvald did the thing she didn't think he was ever going to do, takes away her need to commit the fraud she was going to commit, sees her mother reject that. I mean, all that stuff that would have been interesting character development is not in this script. Yeah. No, I think where I think where the, her character is strongest is as an opponent to Nora's worldview. Um, as as a challenge to Nora's worldview, because Nora has a very strong sense that she did the right thing in leaving, um, and I think she ends the play still believing that. However, Emmy comes into the 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 story as someone who Nora needs. She needs Emmy to go talk to Torvald to try to get him to get the divorce for her. Um, she she knows that it's going to be painful because she she has some shame about leaving her children behind, even though she knows it was the right choice to leave. And Emmy is is uh, not abashed at saying that that was that was wrong. Um, she says that she doesn't blame her for anything, whether or not we believe her or not. But we we know that she uh, doesn't agree with that choice and that she's made a different choice for herself. So uh, yeah, as an and, opponent, and I think that actually might be the more important point. I'm not sure whether she is so specific about saying your choice was bad. But what she says is, I'm making a different choice for myself. Yeah, you're right. Right, right. So you have a an opposing character's worldview that she believes just as strongly that Nora's worldview has to come up against, um, and and uh, not change by the end of it because because yeah, because she's not on stage at the end of it, so we don't know really whether Emmy changed. Yeah, and, and so that's I think what's interesting is that of the characters, she's the one that has that does not have that undergirded reality of a previous character life that Nath can build on. And so a character like Emmy makes me wonder if I didn't know anything of part one, how much would I see in these characters in part two? Because I don't see that much in Emmy. And I don't know anything hmm. about her from part one. Just as the only way I can ever know what these characters are like without knowing if you didn't know Ibsen's play, you can right. see Emmy and say, well, I don't know anything about Emmy from Ibsen's play. So, and I don't feel like she's on that much of a journey. I don't feel like she, I, I, I don't see any change in her character because she doesn't have a character from the previous play that I can see a change in. I, so I, I'm very interested and, and I love your call out to the audience. If you haven't read Ibsen's dollhouse, pick up dollhouse part two, see it near you when theater comes back and shoot us an email or a message on social media. I'm very, interested in those people's view especially of this play because it's just something i don't have yeah yeah 
I wonder too about her ability to be a bit of a a way for us to see ourselves in the play, um, with with a lot of characters who don't who who aren't super identifiable because of period uh, piece because of it being a period piece. You know, we have a banker, we have uh, a writer, we have a nanny. Um, as the three other characters, um, I, I I wonder about the reality of of uh, having having a character whose parent left them meeting their parent again, um, and that sort of world change allows allows people to see themselves in the play a little bit easier, especially because it's a low context character uh, and it's a, maybe a bit of an invitation for people to engage the play a little differently and put themselves in in a character differently than than. Uh, than Torvald or Nora, especially these these two high context characters that are they're kind of bound in in occupations and choices previously made. So, as one of the maybe the last things that we have time to talk about, Jackson, I'm interested in what this play means for Ibsen's play. Is Ibsen's Dollhouse forever now Dollhouse Part One? And hmm. is that fair to Ibsen? <laughs> Was it fair of Nath to do that? Too? He could have written the same situation with different character names and not called it Dolls How, you know, and everybody would have known, but maybe it wouldn't have been as directly related. I mean, is Ibsen's Dolls House forever changed now? Boy, that's a great question. Um, I... This is my sense in reading this play, and as I contemplate the different ways that uh, questions are answered from the first play in this play, I think it, it, it's helpful for me to think about this as one of the universes, <laughs> you know, to bar, borrow some Marvel language, um, <laughs> so that this is, you know, in, in, a, in a world of infinite uh, universes and, and ways that this, this could go, this is a very justified um uh, line that it could have gone if she returned in 15 years as a result of Torvald not f filing for divorce. Um, I, I enjoyed it. I enjoy it in that way. I think it's very rich that way. Um, I think as I think back on um, A Doll's House by Henrik Ibsen, though, there's there's more ways. And I think that that play is is talking about different things. Um, it has it has different things that it's talking about. This play this play is writing in a whenever it was written, you know, 2017 world. I forget the exactly exact right year number, but this play is being written in in a you know 21st century world. And and the world that uh, A Doll's House by Henry Gibson was written in was different, and it's talking about different things. So I think the worth. And the uh, the uh, the issues of Ibsen's play make it stand uh, separate from A Doll's House Part Two. Now, A Doll's House Part Two can't live separately from Ibsen's world. It is it is a it is dependent upon it to some degree. Um, but I but I think it is I think it does a good job of picking up the baton and and telling a new story in a different time about important things that the story still continues to evoke. So I don't think it has a um, I don't think two uh, part two owns the original. That's that that's my that's my two cents. <laughs> yeah, I'm very torn because I I do think that one of the things that Ibsen intended for his script was this great mystery that is what happens to Nora now. She makes these choices for herself, for her family, and walks out the door into the unknown, and that is part of how that play is supposed to end. And to now have that answered it, by a different playwright, and, and I, I can't imagine Nate claims any kind of official. Uh, <laughs> right, I can't imagine right. that he believes that this is like the official answer to what happened to Nora. I think probably like you, he's willing to live into the world of this is one of the things that might have happened to Nora. But even with that, it, it it's very hard to 
to to keep that in your brain, right? To read this script and go, this is just maybe, you know? This is just maybe what happened <laughs> to these folks because that undermines your experience of this script. I mean, you have to live in the world of these characters are real. They're in front of me. They're actually experiencing these things. They're experiencing them for the first time. They're experiencing them in a way that's going to change their life forever. Otherwise, there's no stakes to the play, right? It's just uh, a playground. It's just like, right. well, let's just see. It could be interesting. I don't know. It's like an improv session. Uh, and it's just <laughs> over at the end, you know? But but so I, I, I'm very torn. I'm not I'm not sure how I, and I love Lucas Nath, but I'm not sure how fair it is for him to do something like this to Ibsen's Doll's House. Ooh, interesting. I just, I, <laughs> and that that's hard for me to say because I love this kind of thing. I love adaption. I love playing with, and, and that has been done to so many other plays, so many other pieces of literature for sure. But I have to believe that this is not, these, this play is not what Ibsen intended for his play. And now mm-hmm. they're forever tied. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. It's interesting to think about when something becomes a a hist- when when something is a historical piece, when something kind of enters into a common uh, common domain as a piece of vernacular that we can play with, and then when something enters into a status of being able to be riffed on. Um, I think, and I, and I wonder about that line too. Like we, we riff on Greek plays all the time now. Like if you think of, if you think of metamorphosis or if you think of, uh, oh, I'm spacing on the, uh, Eurydice. Um, these are plays that are not necessarily, they're, they're based on the bones of the original story, but they're telling a different story. Um, they're telling, they're, they're, they're changing things up. And and we can and think I'm about. I'm sure them. that exists for Shakespeare, right? I'm sure there's Absolutely. a Hamlet part two, or a, what sure. if this happened to Hamlet, or what if this happened to Macbeth? Now both those characters are dead, but right, that, right. that aside, <laughs> <laughs> Rose what and happens? Chris and Guildenstern are dead. There you go. Um, what happens yeah. to the characters at the uh, after Midsummer? You know, I'm I'm sure those plays exist. Something about Lucas Nath's authority. Uh, as of leading playwright, not to just write something that people aren't going to know, but something that's going to sweep the nation. And then also the recency of Ibsen. And I think you were mentioning that just before too. It's like, when does a play stop belonging to the playwright in, in, in a, now in a legal sense, of course it doesn't. It's in public domain, has been forever. It's a 19th century script, but it, is it too recent for that? I don't know. Well, and part of it is, are, are the issues that the original play is addressing still recent? And the reality is, is they are. <laughs> you know, the issues of the first play, the statement that he makes at the end is still a relevant statement. So so to be to be adding on to that is is a is a uh, a weighty thing to do. I think I think it, that that a Doll's House Part Two does a, an honest job at, at trying to do that. But it is it is a move. It's a <laughs> it's a distinct move to try to to try to grab onto something that's still that recent. Which and you know, two hundred years Nate's recent. To credit, I I think it would have been worse for me if he had lived into this, the writing style and the style of drama like we talked about before. That if he was trying to recreate an Ibsen world and write a new story. I mean, he wrote a play for his world, his theatrical sensibilities, his vernacular, the character. I mean, very early in the play, you're like, whoa, we're not in Ibsen's world because I think the maid says like, well, that's a shitty thing to do or something, right. you know, I'm pissed sort of you. right off the way. I'm pissed at you. Right. You sort of immediately go, oh, OK, this is not Doll's House. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and to his credit, I think for what he imagined himself trying to do here, he does try to do the work of this is the characters and the situation, but it's a different thing. It's a thing for me and a thing for us, not not necessarily uh, a replica of what Ibsen was trying to do. I think that's just about all the time that we have for this episode, but let's turn that question as well out to all you all in the audience. We'd love to keep talking about this play, A Doll's House Part 2, with you, whether it's about any of the direct things that we've asked for your input on or anything else you want to bring up from the play. Um, this is a great play. It's a funny play. Uh, again, again, we get to the end and we've talked about all these big themes and dramatic <laughs> you know, styles of theater, but it, it also in, in, in the reading and in the watching of the scenes that I've been able to is a very 
very funny play. So if there's more that you want to talk about this play, we'd love to keep talking to you. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at the username at NoScriptPodcast. We also have an email, NoScriptPodcast at gmail.com. Find us on any of those sites. We'd love to keep talking about this play with you. Absolutely. And if you'd like to recommend the podcast to your friends or family, you can send them to Podbean, where we're hosted, or to Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or Spotify. We're on all those places. You can also just connect with us on Facebook. If you like us on Facebook, you should get an update, because every Monday, the link to the new episode is posted, and every Wednesday, the advertisement for what podcast is coming up is posted, so you can know what scripts we're talking about ahead of time. This is the last week for two weeks that you'll hear from me because next week Jackson and Maria are talking about once. Very excited for that conversation. I hope you'll tune into that. And then after that, if you can believe it, we only have one more discussion before the end of season five. End of season five. We'll be taking a bit of a break over the holiday season to kind of reset a little bit, get ready for next season. But don't worry, we're coming back with more plays in the next season after that. So Hang in there, get excited, but also like stay tuned for these next two episodes. It's going to be a killer couple of episodes. So I'll be here next week. So until then, when we're talking about another play, I am Jackson Nikolai. I'm Jacob Mann Christensen. Thanks for joining us for No Script, the podcast. We'll see you.